welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Okay, what purpose then does the law serve? Part 8, what purpose does the law serve? I'll pick off right where I left off. In the Old Testament, God will give us. Remember that? In the New Testament, God has given us. We dealt with that last week. I also went on to say, as a lot of times when the Old Testament is quoted... It is in reference to a fulfilled prophecy. Hmm? So you cannot take what has been fulfilled and apply it now as something that you expect to be fulfilled in your life. And like I said it last week, except where it is a dual purpose text. Remember me mentioning that? Look at Matthew 1, 22 and 23. This is Matthew now, right? Old Testament is fulfilled. All covenant is fulfilled, set aside, but all scripture is profitable for doctrine. So all this was done that might be fulfilled, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, who are not how he's speaking now, by the way. <laughs> God, Hebrews 1, verse 1. So many times in various ways. Spoke in time past to our fathers through the prophets. Has in these last days spoken to us by the son. So how is God speaking to us now by the son? How has God spoken to us now by the son? So when we go into the prophets, we see one, what the prophets, what God spoke through the prophets as fulfilled in the son. Are you following me now? Yes. We're not going to hear the prophet. Yes, sir. We're going to see what the prophet spoke of the son. Are you following me? Because God is speaking exclusively through the son. Not a partnership of the son and the prophet. Are you here? So Matthew 1. In 22, actually, um, 21, <laughs> start from 21, and she will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus, Leoseos. That's the problem. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. In this case, Isaiah. Saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which is translated, God with us. You see that? And that fulfillment is found in Isaiah 7 and 14. Isaiah 7 and 14. 
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is Isaiah. I mentioned this last week or two weeks ago. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Jesus was never regarded or called verbally by the name Emmanuel. There's no record at any point. But was he Emmanuel? Why? Because God was with us. I took time to explain this last week because there's a school of thought in theology that suggests that this virgin was born to Isaiah. As we see in chapter 8. But I explained to you that there are two different Hebrew words for virgin. One of them means someone who has never had sex before, but primarily it means one who is of marriageable age and is a single woman. Right? Remember that? And it said a virgin shall conceive. Now considering the context of Isaiah 7 into Isaiah 8, you'll find that Isaiah went into a prophetess. In other words, the prophetess could not have conceived by herself. Because I said to you, the Holy Spirit has only ever been responsible for one pregnancy. (laughs) You can't say he's responsible. Mm -mm. Holy Mary. Does that make sense now? Holy Mary. So I went to the prophetess and she conceived. And boy, son, the Lord said to me, call his name. Now, that theological school of thought links this kid to the prophecy in chapter 7 about Emmanuel for two reasons. One, it was prophesied in the time of King Ahaz. I explained this last week. Two, the immediate follow-up of the description of the child in Isaiah 7 was, was contextual or was relevant to where Israel was at the time. At the time of the prophecy, curds and honey shall he eat. No sooner will he have been weaned before I would bring upon you what I have said. That was between God, Isaiah, and Ahaz the king. Does that make sense? Now, this is a classic example of where a word of prophecy has twofold meanings. Are you following me now? Twofold meanings. I'll show you another one. Very interesting one that you have never thought of. Yeah, I'll show you. Stay with me. And so the child is born by the name of. And, and he's the one talked about. Interestingly, even that kid is not called Emmanuel. So not every time is a name something that is verbalized. Your name is. Even you. Even you. It's not all your names we know. So if you are sitting here, you have 13 names. See, Vincent has put this in his hand up. Some of you don't even know how many names you have. It's when you go to the village. You know the maternal, the name your maternal grandmother gave you. The name your maternal grandmother. And you know those grandparents, they have no respect. They will not call you any other name except the one they gave you. When they call you, I wonder who are they calling? <laughs> Me? <laughs> if you are Yoruba, you have 19 names. Go and check. 21 names sometimes. 
to his, he wasn't called in the verbal sense, Emmanuel. What is the word called? I explain to you, Kaleo. It's a positioning, not a verbalization. So even that kid wasn't called Emmanuel, too for prophecy. In chapter 8, prophetess gives birth to a son, which explains to us that virgin in chapter 7 did not mean somebody who has and will never have sex. It simply meant, as the original Hebrew word, a woman who is of marriageable age who is single. So that's fulfilled with the name of that boy in chapter 8, but it's fully fulfilled with Christ in Matthew 1. So when Matthew is writing this, he, he references Isaiah's prophecy. And we reading that can get a rounded picture of doctrine surrounding the nature of Christ that we will not have seen just by Matthew's account. If Matthew had himself not referenced the Old Testament scripture. So you see how they use the Old Testament? I told you, Paul, Paul quoted, Paul alone quoted the Old Testament more than 200 times. There are about 342 quotes of the Old Testament in the New. And this is what confuses some of us. Because we think that these guys are upholding the law. Simply because they referenced the law. And that's why we're teaching this to bring clarity. Are you here? So Matthew 1, we're in 22. So this, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Amen. Go to chapter 2 and verse 17. Start from verse 1. I'm not going to read all the way, but just see from verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born, where was he born? No, there are two Bethlehems, you know. I don't have time for that today. I mentioned that in No Water Jacob's Well. There are two Bethlehems. So just say Bethlehem. <laughs> Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. you see why it's important shortly. In the days of Herod the king... Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Next verse. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Jews have issues though. Okay. That's why it's God that will deal with them directly. Yeah, they have their score with God to settle. Because they don't used to hear word. It's It's scary. That's why Hebrews write and say, when you hear it, harden not your heart as in the days of disobedience. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when, verse 4, when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the chief priests, men of God, in that day. Hmm? Men of God. Chief priests and the scribes of the people. Scribes, documenters. 
of the word of God. Custodians of the scriptures. Together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Please go back to verse 1. After Jesus was born, where? Of verse 4. Last slide. Inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. That means there was a preceding prophecy of Christ. There was a preceding prophecy that he would be born. And there was a preceding prophecy of where he would be born. And the chief priests and scribes knew. Because Herod was not asking them, is there such a thing as Christ? Would he be born? Does the scripture say anything about... No, 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 no. Herod, being a good king, or governor rather, of Jerusalem for that many years, knew their ways and customs and knew there was a prophecy. So he then said, okay, that Christ... Where, where did they say he'll be born? Now, where did verse 1 tell us he was born? Verse 4, last slide. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be. Next verse. So they said to him, they didn't think about it. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. They didn't stop there. They also said to him, Chief priest, the same people that killed him. They also said, For thus it is written by the prophet. Pause. Micah chapter 5. Verse 1. Now gather yourself in troops, all daughters of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. Verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, that is Judea. Though you are little among thousands of Judah. Hear this carefully, Micah. Yet out of you shall come forth to me, the capital one, to be ruler in Israel. But the difference is this one, his goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So there will be a bunch of people that will come from Bethlehem. But this one, he's he's going forth. His dealings. NLT. NLT. Mm -hmm. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. This is Micah. We have one other translation. The message. At least, or, or, or amplified. But you, Bethlehem, David's country. You see that? Ephrathah. Come forth. The runt of the litter. <laughs> From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule Israel. He'll be no upstart, no pretender. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. Amplified, if you have it. For you, Bethlehem, efforts are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one shall come forth for me, who is to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from. So, 
the chief priests and scribes take Herod on a journey of Old Testament prophecy and fulfillment. This is where they quote in Matthew 2, 5. For they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come. Can you see it? And yet the Jews missed Jesus. So the Old Testament is profitable for referencing prophecy as fulfilled in Christ. Are you following me now? I'll give you two more examples. 17 and 18. Same chapter 2 of Matthew. I showed you this, I think I showed you this last week, so I'll, I'll probably just go past that. But I'll just read it anyway. 17. Then was fulfilled. Somebody say fulfilled. fulfilled. And I, I think I dwelled on this last week. What was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, quoting Jeremiah 31. And I told you, somebody cannot come now and say, ah, the Lord showed me. Rachel crying. I see Rachel. She's crying. Sir, please give her. Because that Rachel is crying over spilled milk. If you understand the domestic expression. You can't say, oh, Rachel is crying. Rachel, Rachel. Mm. Her children are scattered abroad. No, it was fulfilled in Christ. Yes. Does that make sense now? Yes, are you here? Yes, sir. Verse 23. Matthew 2, 23. Just a few. Just you see how the Old Testament is used in the New Testament. Are you learning anything? Yes, Matthew 2, 23. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. <laughs> this is the one that's going to blow your mind. Don't despise the Old Testament. Too. That it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Okay, now I have your attention. There's no place where it was said that Jesus will be a Nazarene. No place. There's no prophecy of Jesus from David to Moses to Hosea to Jeremiah to Ezekiel, have I called David already? Yes, to Joel, to Habakkuk, to Jonah. There is no place in the Old Testament where a Messianic prophecy says he will be a Nazarene. Matthew says he went and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. Now don't forget where he was born. Where was he born? But what is he known as? Jesus Christ of... Isn't your village I'm supposed to call you from? 
or call you by. But why did he go to Nazareth? That it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene or one from Nazareth. It's the same way he was sent to Egypt as a child. So that scripture fulfilled that we said, out of Egypt, I call forth my son. I showed you that last week. So now here's my problem. I start searching. It's, it's part. If, if he said it's, it's going to be fulfilled what the prophet said, I must see where the prophet said it. There's all kinds of interesting commentaries, all of them shooting a miss. See, if I ever doubted that this thing is the message of Christ singularly, that doubt is dead. There's nothing you can tell me. The scriptures are the totality of the message of one man. The entire narrative. But I, Pastor, are you telling me that when we finish preaching Jesus, what are we going to preach? When you finish, come and see me in my office. Let's score what you have preached. It's one message. I searched and I found nobody. I searched and I found which prophet prophesied it? None. But there he was, hidden in plain sight, as a type. And I found it. As a type emoji. Judges 13, from verse 1. This one troubled me. And the Holy Spirit enjoyed watching me search. Using him as, you know, his Holy Spirit is Google for things of the Spirit. Again, the children of Israel did even serve the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. I don't have time to unpack all these types and shadows. Next verse. Now, there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah. I've talked about this before, but not in full. His wife was barren and had no children. You know how he says, blessed is the barren woman and she that has no child? Well, the children of the barren woman shall be more than those of the yes. free woman. Yes. And the angel, I will deal with this at the end of this series. I told you, I will show you angelic ministry in the giving of the law. Remember I told you that? Now the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now the angel of the Lord appeared to her, the woman who had no child. The angel appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have born... No children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Liken that to a woman who is of marriageable age who has never had a child. Okay, next verse. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. Verse 5. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. Woo! 
for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Aha. Shall be called a Nazarite. Those people in Nazareth, they don't cut their hair. There's something special about them. So he arose and went to Nazareth that might be fulfilled what the prophets, prophets referring to the law, to the old covenant, prophets. It's not specific as to a particular prophet. He said, according to what was spoken by the Old Testament, prophets. In other words, there's somewhere in the Old Testament that says he will be a Nazarene. Something thing. And I've told you every type and shadow is flawed. Yes. So you don't confuse the type and shadow for the substance. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, someday we'll talk about Samson, type of Christ. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Imperfect type. That's why he died with them. The only difference is he did not rise. He took all the evil down with him. He just didn't come back from the dead. They spat on him. They made jest of him. Insulted. They look at you. Taking up city gates. Killing 200 men with a jawbone of an axe. Look at you. Chained up. Arms. In between two. After you have been betrayed by. After the last thing you did was to take a cup and. it because we're looking for a perfect type. There's none. Perfect type will eliminate the need for the substance. So go and check. I've told you over and over. Go and check scripture. Every type and shadow was flawed. Everyone. And I told you last week, be careful to think that men are not of God just because they have flaws. In most cases, it's their flaws that defines their call. God will engineer his purpose through their flaws. Where were we? 23 of Matthew 2. Are you learning anything? Okay. Good. 
I could, I could come through. Matthew is beautiful for reconciling Old Testament prophecy fulfilled. Beautiful. Beautiful. Where are we? That it may be fulfilled by the prophets. It shall be called. Nazarene. Let me show you one more scripture. First Samuel chapter 1. You know, we just read Matthew 2. We just read Judges 13, right? Types, right? You see another one, but it's a teaser. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, verse 8, Why do you weep? First Samuel 1 8. Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah, verse 9, arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh or Shiloh, depending on your Bible teacher. And Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow, had no clue what she was saying, and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Judges 13. Remember? Samson? Nazareth. No razor shall come upon his head. A thing in Nazareth. Where Nazarenes come from. Jesus was sent to Nazareth. (laughs) That he might be fulfilled what was written. He will be a Nazarene. That place is Samuel. Straight up as a type of Christ. That's so why he was the only one whose head was straight in Israel that was full of madness and iniquity. He was the custodian of the presence of God in his day. And was the only intermediary between Israel and God. The only mediator. And again, he was set apart. All right, Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Oh, this one is also very poignant. Matthew 27. Um, Go from verse... Three. And verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver, right? So the chief priests and the elders, keep going, saying, I have seen by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Hmm. Next verse. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Keep going. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. Don't forget that Delilah was paid silver for, for Samson. 
And they consulted together and brought with them the potter's field, bought with them the potter's field, to bury strangers ate. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Next verse. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah, (laughs) the prophet, saying, and they took 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was prized, whom they of the children of Israel prized. Hmm. Again, 30 pieces of silver. And Matthew says Jeremiah said so. Quick study will find out that Jeremiah doesn't explicitly say so. What we find, however, is Zechariah saying something like that. But then we can conclude that because those two prophets interlapped in their time eras, Zechariah could have been quoting Jeremiah. Are you following me? Quick Bible study. Jeremiah 32, 6 to 9. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right redemption. The right of redemption is yours to buy it. Keep going. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, Please, buy my field that is in Anathoth which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours, but buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, nine. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. 30 pieces, 17 shekels. This is the closest we, we find as an allusion to Matthew 27. Right? But I found this one in Zechariah 11. Zechariah 11, are you there? I will go from 12. Read Matthew 27, 9 again. Please just put it up on the screen. Matthew 27, 9. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and he took 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced. Right? Zechariah eleven twelve. They said, the prophecy said that 30 pieces of silver, which they priced with the children of Israel, or which they agreed, right? Now, then I said to them, for if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. Negotiation. And if not, refrain, or don't give me. So they weighed out for me my wages. That princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and 
where did Judas throw those 30 pieces of silver? In the court of the temple. What did they use it to buy? Called what? Initially known as Porter's Field. For how much? You see how much detail is in the Old Testament. Go back to Matthew 27, verse 7, because some of you have forgotten. Go back to, to Zechariah 11, 12 and 13 again, and then we'll go back to Matthew 27. I want you to get this. Then I said to them, if it's agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the porter, that princely price that they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the porter. Matthew 27, from verse 5. From verse 5. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself for six. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood or they are the price of life. For blood is life. Verse seven. Verse seven. I'm going to resist. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field. To bury strangers in. Can you see that? Yes, sir. Now you read Jeremiah 32. You read Zechariah 11. On their own, without recourse to Matthew 27, you don't understand what was being talked about. Are you following me now? And over and over you see multiple references. To the Old Testament as fulfilled in the New. You find another interesting use of the New Testament where it has been quoted to redefine certain tenets or certain ordinances. And I like this one. It's Jesus that does this one a lot. Matthew 5. <laughs> Jesus has fun with this one a lot. From verse 21 to 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, not murder. Exodus 20, 13. You all know this one now. Ten commandments, you still keep sacrosanct. Even though the tablets were called the tablets of condemnation and death. The ten commandments are still in force. But that's the one that was written and engraved on tablets that Paul says ministry of death. I don't know. You shall not murder. And you're trying to keep the Ten Commandments. When First John comes and teaches you that if you hate your brother, you are a murderer. You see, it's easier, therefore, to murder your brother and forget about him. Than to live with him in church, hate him and be a murderer. Did you hear what I said? Isn't it so? Kill somebody, forget about it. 
But to live with them, hate them, and be a murderer. You're a perpetual murderer. Every time you see them and live with them and hate them, you're murdering them. Thou shalt not murder. Exodus 20, right? Verse 13. Come back to Matthew 21, Matthew 5 and 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old. You have heard that it was said to who? Are you those of old? Who is those of old? Our fathers in time past by the prophets. Follow scripture systematically. What by those old? You shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. Jesus comes. He quotes the law to make it worse. Verse 22. But I say to you, Whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. In other words, you are thinking that judgment will not come until you kill somebody. Let me even shock you. <laughs> That's what Jesus was saying. Let me shock you now and explain to you that whoever is angry at his brother without a cause shall be in the danger of judgment. See also verse 27 and 28. Same Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old. <laughs> you shall not commit adultery. Exodus 20, 14, yes? You shall not commit You have heard that it was said to those of old, Matthew 5, 27. You shall not commit adultery. When 27. 28, but I say to you, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Hmm. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Was Jesus making the law simpler? (laughs) Or more complex? If he intended for you to keep it, why is he complicating it? Instead of simplifying it. This was Jesus using the law how? Lawfully. <laughs> because if adultery now is looking at a woman with desire, I put it to you, dear single brother, that you are in danger of judgment. So see, Jesus didn't come to uphold, thou shalt not commit adultery. He came to show you, you are a joker if you think you can keep it. Because the standard is actually even higher. Are you following now? Matthew 5, 33 and 34. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. <laughs> you shall not swear falsely. Mm. You know that one, right? You shall not swear Falsely. That's again the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, I think, verse 7. But shall perform your oath to the Lord. In other words, it was said to those of old, swear, but not anyhow. Thou shalt not swear falsely 
a.k.a. thou shalt swear truthfully. 34. What I say to you. <laughs> so every time you swear, Verse 38. Jesus had fun in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's in Exodus 21 and 24. It's repeated again in Leviticus 24, 20. Exodus 21, 24. I want us to see them, you know. It's a class. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Oh boy, what will be remaining? Because you only have, most of these things you have only like, okay, tooth, you have like 38. But everything else is like you have a pair. So by the time you offend somebody twice and you lose your two eyes and your two ears and your two nostrils and your two, you even have one mouth. So by the time it's mouth for mouth, Hand for hand, foot for foot. Leviticus 24, 20. Fracture for fracture. Eye for eye. Fracture for fracture. Break my bone. Bring the bone you broke. Bring the good one. Break your bone. Fracture for fracture. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. As he has caused this figurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. And you want to keep the Lord. Jesus comes and says in Matthew 5 and 38, you have heard that it was said. An eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. So you can't take eye for eye and tooth for tooth because the law says so. The law giver says no. Because yeah. the scepter shall not depart from Judah. No, the law giver from Israel. The law giver. He's the law giver. That's why he was not bound by it, but he fulfilled it and set it aside. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. See how he put an end to eye for eye. Fracture for fracture. Tooth for tooth. 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tonic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Leviticus 19. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. So you see him referencing Old Testament to redefine certain concepts. So the Old Testament is only as understood and received in Christ. If you, it's, I told you last week, it's a landmine to enter Old Testament without Christ guiding you. You will explode. Do you understand? You step on a mine and something will happen to you. That's why I'm taking time to teach this. You must navigate the Old Testament in the light of its message. Be very careful. 
Are you here? Hmm. Very careful. In the light of its message. As the lawgiver says. So he goes and he redefines a few things. I'll take, okay, I just did that one. Lastly, for this section, he also, we also see the Old Testament quoted to define the meaning of what was allegorical or what was symbolic, even though it was literal. In other words, the Old Testament is quoted to show us that something that happened had a greater meaning. Or even someone that happened had a greater meaning. Like Jonah, for instance. We've come up upon that a few times. An evil and adulterous generation desires a sign. No sign shall be given to them other than the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so also shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. So instantly you see Jonah in the belly of the fish. It happened. But it wasn't about Jonah. It was about greater than Jonah. And so you see the Old Testament quoted a lot of times to show you that something happened and was real, but it was referring to something of much more significance. Does that make sense? Quickly, which other one have we dealt with recently? John the Baptist as what? How about Isaac and Ishmael? The two sons are two covenants, Galatians 4. Right? One is the son of the bondwoman, which corresponds to Mount Sinai, which is in Arabia. The other one, son of the free woman. The heavenly Jerusalem, that is our mother. We're not sons of the, of the bondwoman, or sons of the free woman. Until today, just as then, the sons of the bondwoman troubled the son of the free woman, as it is today. Isaac and Ishmael were real guys. They existed, but it was about more than them. It's about law and grace. You seen that? Esau and Jacob, grace through faith, without works, works and labor and entitlement, leading you nowhere. Go and make me venison such as I love, that I may eat and bless thee. <laughs> and Esau grabs his bow and goes to work. A mediator steps in and calls this one. Now to him, David speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Romans 4. Come here, Jacob. I heard a promise. I want to give it to you. I don't deserve the promise. I'm the second born. Shut up. That's why I am the one who's giving it to you. When you were eating stew, what do you think you ate? Porridge. You didn't realize this is the promise you received. Go to the back and bring me a baby goat. Hurry. Let me kill it. He shed his blood. Put his skin on you. 
What did you do in this matter? Nothing. Hey, my father will hear my voice doesn't sound like Jesus. My, my, my skin is smooth. His is hairy. What? He will find out and he will curse me or he will hurt me. And Rebecca said, anything that comes upon you should come upon me. For God has laid upon him. And he went in. What did he do? Nothing. He didn't raise the goat. Didn't train it. He didn't kill it. He didn't skin it. He didn't put the skin on him. His mother did. All she said to him was, let everything that happened to you happen to me. Now go and take the blessing that you didn't work for. And Jacob walks in. The voice sounds like Jacob. The skin feels like Esau. But it doesn't matter. Come, take the blessing. And he takes all the blessings such that Esau should not have even begged. Because what Esau got when he begged, he would have been better off that he didn't ask for something else. Because I was when and I told him that you shall serve your brother. And his hand shall be on your neck. So I just kept quiet and just gone away. I remember the porridge that he gave. Yet. Right there you see a clear picture of what you get by works and what you get by grace that you don't qualify for. But you see, if you don't understand it, you go there and say, ah, God, God is so wicked now. Ah, somebody that is legitimate firstborn. You know, some of you feel like you are the one that should instruct God how to have sense. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You say, ah, what kind of God is that? God should, God, should, God should reason it now. But I showed a few weeks ago, God is always in the pattern of skipping the first. And establishing his counsel with the second. Same thing with Jesus. Adam had to come first. First, Adam had to come first. Then second, who is the last Adam? Esau had to come first. And then it was Jacob. Manasseh had to come first, and then it was Ephraim. Cain had to come first, it was Abel. Ishmael had to come first, it was Isaac. And the pattern goes on and on and on. Are you following me now? So you see, a lot of times the Old Testament is quoted to show you something was literal, but was allegorical. Hebrews Hebrews 10, 37. I love this one, I like to say it all the time. Because of how church has used it. Church has used it so badly. You see that scripture tucked away there in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 37. For yet a little while and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. And this, give me the previous verse. Previous verse. For you have need of endurance. You need endurance. Tell anyone you need endurance. <laughs> so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Colon. The promise that we're about to show that you receive was said in 37. For yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not. In quote. He's quoted a promise in the Old Testament. What is the promise and what, where is it written? Habakkuk 2. 
not Hebrews 2. Habakkuk 2. Verse 2, what you used to quote to grow your business. And 3. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Keep going. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. It was not a text written to grow your business. It was written to give you the promise for which you need endurance. Hebrews 12, go back to 37. Hebrews 12, 37. Give us NLT or something. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Go back to 36. (laughs) Patient endurance is what you need now. So that you continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Open quote. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. And this is quoting Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3. Go back to Habakkuk 2 in the NLT, 2 and 3. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. But you still write the vision, make it plain, and then I read it and run with it. You think it's you to write your vision and run with it. Do you have a vision? Write it down that you might read it and run with it. What you're not reading cannot happen. That might be true, but that's not what the scripture is. Now the runner can carry the correct message to others. Keep going. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end. And it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming... Wait patiently. You see, patient endurance is what you need. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. What is this talking about here now? Immortality. First John chapter 3 verse 2. Now we are sons of God. It does not yet appear. In other words, you don't yet have a vision. Vision of what we shall look like. But when we see him. That's the vision we talked about. We shall be like him, for we shall... What is vision? A revelation of the son. And once you see the son, you become as him. I will not st- How long have we been waiting for Jesus to come back? You need patient endurance. So you can receive the promise of what? The immortality when the son is made manifest. When you see the vision. It has nothing to do with money. Or business plans. The vision is the vision that when you see, you become. So Hebrews comes and tells you in chapter 12, patience and endurance is what you need. Hebrews 12, 36 and 37 in the message. Hallelujah. But you need to stick it out. Stay with God's plan so you'll be there for the promised completion. Next verse. It won't be long now. He's on the way. He'll show up most any minute. Quoting Habakkuk 2. Now take us to Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3 in the message. Let's see how he puts it. And then God answered, write this. 
Write what you see. Write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. Mm -hmm. This vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. And it doesn't lie. Even if it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. And this is not talking about the child you are expecting to have. If it were, Hebrews 12 will not be quoting it in a different context. <laughs> Amplify. Hebrews 2.3. Habakkuk 2.3. And then back to Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 26 and 27. Habakkuk 2.3 in the Amplify. For the vision is yet for an appointed future time. It hurries toward the goal of fulfillment. It will not fail. Even though it delays, wait patiently for it because it will certainly come. It will not delay. Hebrews 12, 36 and 37. For you have need of patient endurance to bear up under difficult circumstances without compromising so that when you have carried out the will of God, you may receive and enjoy to the full what is promised. Next verse. What is that? For yet in a very little while, he, the vision, who is coming, will come and will not delay. Are you believing God for something? Write it down and run with it. No, 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 no. The vision is that one that once you see, you become. <laughs> That's the ultimate vision. All these other visions are types and shadows. Yeah. All these visions, visions of who will win election. These are tertiary, baby, elementary, kindergarten visions. You saw that it will rain on the 33rd of February. Ah, the Lord showed me. Hmm, hmm, hmm. The 13th month of the year. You say, I'm a seer. You see nothing if you don't see Christ. Yeah. Worship Jesus for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You are not an oracle if you are not declaring what is coming. Who is coming? He is the vision. You're not seeing him, you're seeing nothing. Absolutely nothing. And if you're not seeing him, you're saying nothing. Even if you're running five services. On 16 satellite stations. They see as he who sees Christ in the message of the scriptures and the believer in him glorified. Which is to say, entering into adoption. The believer in him, when you say, when you, say you are going to be glorified, does not mean you are going to be given a, a seat on the high table? <laughs> That's not glorification. Glorification is you taking the body that has been kept for you. A body thou hast prepared for me. That's glory. So I told you that when you shout glory in church, it's not cliche. When you shout glory, you are declaring your hope. Anytime you shout glory in church, 
See, can I shock you? To, I'm, I'm going to find a place to close. Can I shock you a little bit tonight? Yes, sir. When you shout glory, don't think God. You are the one that is obsessed with giving God glory. God is obsessed with giving you glory. <laughs> we have mixed it up in church. No, it's not you caught up with giving God glory. Salvation is God obsessed with clothing man with his glory. God has always wanted to share glory. The reason why he was not sharing with men was because men were servants and not sons. And no, a God cannot share glory with servants. But the moment they become sons and he's their father, so it was fitting for him. Hebrews 2.10, it was fitting for him in bringing many sons into and so Colossians will say in chapter 1 and verse 27 Colossians 1 27 your inheritance is glory to them that is us God may will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among Gentiles what is the mystery Christ in you the of so this patient endurance what is the cash out? Glory. This patient endurance is what scripture means when it says that for our light, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, but our light affliction, I will help you today. You are thinking materialistic too much. You are thinking car. You are thinking house. Our light affliction, which is what we need patient endurance for. Count it all joy when you go through, knowing that the testing of your faith worketh patience. So our light affliction, what is our light affliction? Excuse me, can I help you? Your light affliction is not your sickness. You know what your light affliction is? You know, you know what your light affliction is? Mortality. That you are saved but you are trapped in this body that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. For corruption must necessarily be put off. Hey, you are son of God. Trapped, that's why your body is groaning. Romans 8. What is your light affliction? This humanity. Not your rent you have not paid. That's not counted in affliction. Not six years jam you have written and not gotten admission. That is not what we're talking about here. It is your existence in this body of flesh while you are a son of God destined for adoption. My brother, that's affliction. That's affliction. He broke your heart. You are afflicted. No, no, no. No, no. That was the same affliction referred to Jesus when David said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. The Lord delivered him from them all. For it was not possible for death to... So Paul comes in that light and says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. What is it working? 
a far more and weight of what? So what has God promised you in two syllables? And then he now goes to the next verse and says, while we look not to what is seen. Go now, you see the context. You see now? Why we do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. That means what we're expecting cannot be what is seen or can be seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. So that cannot be what we're expecting. Our eternal bit of glory cannot be the new car you're expecting. The things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now go back to the beginning of this verse. Let me you, you see very clear. The things which are not seen are eternal. We do not look at the things which are seen. Close, give me text only. But are the things which are not seen. If you say what you are looking at that is not seen, it means the car that you're expecting, which has not come. Then the next verse cancels it because it says, what we're looking for that are not seen are what? Is your car eternal? Is your picking eternal? Is your admission eternal? So things that are not seen cannot be referring to, cannot be referring to material things you don't yet have. <laughs> That you don't have, in fact, you know why you want it? Because you, it's seen. Yeah. Uh, you have seen it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> why are you wanting a house? You saw it on somebody's. <laughs> you entered a crib, you had an expectation. That you don't have it doesn't mean it's not seen. So if what we're, if we're, what we're talking about is material things, you will not say that the things which are it explains by what is not seen, we mean things that are eternal. Yes, sir. That is the eternal, exceeding and eternal weight of glory that this light, so compared to your glory, oh boy, this is, this affliction is light. Yes, sir. If I'm going to limp my way to the day of the Lord, I'm going to limp my way to the day of the Lord, it's a light affliction. If, if I'm going to be dealing and not breathe well unto the day of the Lord, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not heavy enough to rob me of glory. You're too disturbed. You're too worried by natural things. Oh, my back continues to hurt. God has refused to heal me. It's a light affliction. Oh, at my age, I haven't gotten land to buy my build my house. It's a light affliction. My eye is not seeing clearly. I'm not saying God does not heal eyes, but He doesn't have to heal it when His plan is to remove you from it. We are caught up about seeking temporary healing. When the healing God has promised you. That's the fullness. That's the fullness of healing. By whose stripes you were healed. That's the fullness. That's the fullness. By whose stripes you were healed. From what ultimately this light affliction. This sickness called humanity. Ultimately, that's what he paid for. Yes, yes, Not just healing in this flesh and blood. So next time you shout glory, shout it with him. For, don't think God. Glory to God. What does that mean? You, you give glory to God that he doesn't already have? 
It's God that is giving to you glory that you don't have, auntie. Allow him to help you. <laughs> that's, the, that's what is written there in, in Romans 8, 29. 20 and 29. For we know that all things work together for good to them that are called of God. All things work together for good. It's to bring you from corruption to incorruption. Not to bring you from one self-content to five bedroom. All things working together for good. You know what the good there is? Your immortality. Because that's the height of the goodness of God expressed. <laughs> so all things working, all this you're suffering the earth. It's what patience and endurance is helping you to walk through. So that we, Romans 15.4, look at it now again. Romans 15.4. Romans 15.4, more light will come. For whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have what? Hope of what? Glory. Who is the example? Jesus. That's it. That's the hope we have. So light affliction is your humanity. Once you understand this, you will not let any human limitation stop your faith walk. It's not possible. Hey, it's, no matter how big it is, it is light. <laughs> Compared to what is coming. Listen to me. You make money. I say you make money. But nothing spoils if you don't make it. And it's okay. Money or moneyless glory <laughs> married or single glory jackpa glory they are here glory what is the criteria for this glory christ Are you here now? That is the vision that you are expected to see. You are a seer. That's what you should see. You are an oracle. That's what you should see. And that's what you should keep saying until we enter it. Come on, give God praise. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Give him praise like the glory is coming. 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 Celebrate like the glory is coming. The glory is coming. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Glory. <laughs> For this reason, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not ashamed. He's not ashamed. Glory is your end, is your end, your telos. Telos. That's your outcome. Glory is who you will become. 
Remember that short teaching on Port Bean some years ago? Glory, I am. <laughs> Glory, I am. Go look for it. That's who you are. What is all the labor of God for, if not glory? Have you noticed what the Greeks fought for? Glory. You notice the glory they sought was the glory in the afterlife. Not the glory that was with them when they were alive. The Greeks were particular about how they died. The Danes were particular about how they died. Because they knew that life did not start until it ends. And that's from nonsense. Valhalla and Poseidon and Zeus. Somebody came and said, I am come. That they might have life and that they might have it. That's why he's able to, Hebrews 7.25, save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Because without him, no one commit to the It's one message, one scripture. So when you look at the scriptures, navigate them skillfully. Honestly, you need it. You need it more than you think you do. There's a lot of sanity you will come into. There's a lot of struggles you will come, in, you will come to the end of. Once you can handle the word of God skillfully and not be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. You're constantly chasing stuff. That perish with use. You forget the eternal things and camp around the pagan temporal things. Now you begin to glory in your affliction. Do you understand Paul now? <laughs> Do you understand Paul now? 2 Corinthians 12. I glory in my infirmities. <laughs> I glory that the power of Christ may rest on me. What power of Christ are we talking about? 2 Corinthians 12. The power of God unto. Because that's how you measure power. In the ability to sin. The ability to destroy is not power. The ability to redeem, especially what was lost, that's power. Anybody can spoil something. Please don't rate anybody by what they spoil. Rate them by what they built. Rate them by what they repaired. Rate them by what they upheld. Rate them by what they restored that was broken. I don't have time for people. Anybody can destroy. Anybody. Anybody can pull down. Anybody. The power is in what you build. Value is in what you build. It's in what you raise, what you uphold, what you repair, what you redeem. And God is not measured by destruction. And he knows. 
If God is powerful, it is in his... I've, I've taught you these things. If God is powerful, it is in his ability to save. So if you are saying you can lose your salvation, you are saying God's power is limited. Mm, that's what you are saying. You are saying there's, a, there's an extent beyond which his power does not go. So you cannot save yourself because to unsave yourself, you have to have gone outside the transmission range of his power. Does that make sense? For these cameras to stop transmitting, they have to walk outside a thousand feet. As long as they're within a thousand feet, they're transmitting. You see it. Once they go beyond a thousand feet, a thousand two hundred feet, you lose transmission. For you to lose your salvation, you'd have trekked and walked until you got lost and you went outside God. You lost transmission. Because if he's keeping you, then you are always within signal. Now to him who is able to when I see this human being trying to walk out with my camera, I'll say, yes. Yes. You know, if you pass here, we will lose it. That's the only time you can successfully be lost. When you are telling me that your transmission range, like Pastor Minica taught you, that the microchip of the Holy Spirit inside you. It's beeping, it's beeping, it's beeping. You know, as you're walking, you're walking, you're walking, you're walking, you're walking. You now walk out of God's transmission range. And then God searches for you and you have left him. If you can fall out of God's transmission range, change transmitter. You can walk out of God's transmission range. And people have the mind. To insinuate it. And David, I showed you last week, Psalm 139. If I make my bed in the depths of hell, hell, Hades, Sheol, the place of the dead, you are there. That's how Jesus was brought back to life. Brought him back from the dead. Do you know what it means to bring somebody back from the dead? Let me teach you today. It means to go there and bring them out. So when somebody was brought back from the dead, the person that brought him back was needed to be there. You can't say I brought her back from the village if you didn't go to the village to bring her. No, if you didn't go, you say I sent for her. For her, no, Jesus was brought back. If the spirit of He who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He that raised up, if I make my bed in the depths of hell, hell is not a place where fire is burning, the place of the dead. She all it is, even there you are. And you lost signal. God is asking his son that morning, ah, ah, where is Melody? Hey, Amber. You say, say, ah, that's how his microchip was peeping. It was beeping, beeping, beeping. It's not beeping. He now went off. What do I know, Father? As you gave me, I gave them. What they do with it is not my business. Picture the conversation between the father and the son that day. 
you believe that Satan fell with one third of the angels. If this kind of conversation happens, because me, I, I believed you too many years ago. I believed that Satan fell with one third of the angels. Until I read down, I sat down, read in my Bible, Genesis to Revelation, I could not see it. The things I've not taught you. Don't worry. Tell your neighbor, stay in this church. <laughs> but Genesis to Revelation, there's no singular account of Satan and God fighting one third of the angels falling when Satan fell. Wow. I couldn't find it. <laughs> In my accent, I couldn't. <laughs> but, paraventure, you believe. As of today. That's one third of the angels fought. With Michael. They fought, Michael fought, Michael fought, they fought. Michael won. But God lost Ami. God lost one third of his army to a creature he created. He and he can save you. Run for your life. He cannot save you all. Even if he saved you last, last, there will be at least one third casualty. And that casualty can even be you. God can fight and just manage to win. Do you understand? He went to war with 900,000 angel soldiers. He won, but 300,000 were lost. Those ones now became demons. And all the problem in the world is from one third of angels. Eh? But if you believe that, then let me tell you how heaven will be destroyed. The day the father and the son have conversation that suggests that one of your microchips Stopped beeping, and the son cannot account for you to the father. That's when you see the red eye of heaven. Wait, my eternal will for victory thwarted because victory was powerful enough to work out on me. When you are preserving him. Did victory apply to enter me? Did I need victory's approval to save him? So what are you telling me? That you. And you claim you resurrected. And paid for all his sin. 
and you cannot find his microchip, he walked out on your watch. Do you remember praying to me to save you from death before you died? And when you died, you had no power to raise yourself. Jesus, do you remember? You cannot raise yourself. That's why we are praying. You are afraid. Every man is afraid of dying, including, including Jesus. So he prayed fervently to deliver him from death, not to stop him from dying. Jesus was not afraid of the cross. He was afraid of dying and not resurrecting. No. Mm -mm. It wasn't death he was afraid of. No, from that moment on, I will come back here. From that moment on, he began to tell them the things that will happen. How he will be taken, arrested, he will be crucified. Does that sound like someone that's afraid of dying? So Jesus was not crying drops of blood. And afraid, oh God, I don't want to die on the cross. No. When I die and I'm powerless, what happens to me dead? <laughs> Eloy, let's talk this. For surely you will not allow me to be in the place of the dead. So his prayer was to God, remember, oh, remember this deal, oh, remember this deal that when I put my life down, the reason why I said I can lay my life down and I can raise it up. The reason why I said I can raise it up is because <laughs> I've run my mouth, oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've told them I can raise my life back up. But you see, it's not, a, it's not me. It's you all. So Peter will come in Acts 2 and said, Him, God raised up. For it was not possible for death to hold him captive. So, do you remember? When you dropped out and you died, and you trusted me to raise you up. You realize I did not raise you up because you were righteous. Mm -mm. Jesus was not resurrected because he was righteous. It was the will of the Father to glorify him. It was that will that taught Jesus obedience. Jesus was not resurrected because he was obedient. Otherwise, he would have had to have done something for his own resurrection. And if it's the pattern for us, we're in trouble. Because you have to start looking for what Jesus did. To do likewise. That's a problem. Oh, if Jesus was raised to death from, from the death because of his obedience, there's a problem. God's will put or transmitted obedience into Jesus. God's will. 
ultimately. You are saved because of God's will. God who desires that none should perish. Paul tells Timothy. God's will sponsored the giving of Jesus. So you remember you died. You were righteous and obedient in death, but your obedience could not bring you back. Yes, sir. I brought you back. It's when you came back that you now realize that I brought you back. Yes, Jesus, when Jesus died, he didn't go anywhere. He died. Forget Christianity and what I tell him. Don't listen to Christianity. Jesus died. The one I went to hell. He was not fighting in hell for three days. No. Hey, 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 hey. Christianity will tell you when he died, he went to, to hell. He was now collected the key. He now set all the liver, the captives free. He now, you know, did, 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 did. He now came and laid down again and now wake him up. Then he didn't die. And it means you are still trapped in your sins. First Corinthians 15. And so you now, you now, now lost somebody because the person went where? <laughs> you had better. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Was it not you? Okay. You were the word at the beginning. Let me remind you. This is God and Jesus talking. Since you appear to be suddenly hard of hearing, let me put you in remembrance. Of what you said. Open your Bible. (laughs) To John 10, 28. God and Jesus are having a conversation. Wait. Before I even open your Bible. It's not you that told them. That you don't see anything of your own. It's what you hear me say. That means you went there as a representation of me. That's what you told them. I was there. I heard you. You said you do nothing of your own. You say nothing of your own except what I say. That's why when you were now leaving, you now say Holy Spirit, you now say what you said to keep the chain going. Okay, so now open your Bible to John 10, 28. Let me show you logos. That's That's what they call you. What you said. In fact, put um, Angel MTF. Put, put it on the screen. Let him read it. Word for word. And I give them eternal life. You give them what? Eternal life. What does eternal life mean? Forever and oh, you know. Okay, keep reading. And they shall never perish. Oh, they, by this time, twenty-four elders are frozen. They and their crowns. Four living creatures. Their wing will hook in the air. Okay. You said they shall not. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now. Wait. 
You didn't even stop here and respected yourself. You dragged me into it. Verse 29. My father. That's, re- that's referring to who? You, sir. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. Who has given them to me is greater than... So you told them. You told them I was in heaven. You told them that I gave them to you. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. This hand. Where is victory? Conversation cannot happen. I cannot lose my salvation. It's an embarrassment to the son. It's an embarrassment to the father. It's an embarrassment to the eternal plan of salvation. It's an unnecessary inconvenience to Noah. Should have allowed him close the ark himself. Let him go out to swim and come in anytime he likes. Don't shut him in and take away from him the option of being able to come out until you bring him to where you are taking him. And God shut him in. Genesis 7, 16. Then God will have to apologize to Noah for securing him against his will. Because the security of Noah was not based on Noah's will. The security of Noah was based on the will of God. That's my security. Glory, I am. You better give God praise like... Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the Truth Simply Put or at WarTheChurch. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.